from my heart and my lips, O Lord, that may we proclaim your holy gospel. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, Take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, The one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. I have a prayer for us this morning, a prayer that hopefully would be one you you might use throughout the week in some kind of capacity, but in particular this morning here at Mass. There is a a, a special part, I know you've probably heard me say this before, I, I think it's very valuable to always remind ourselves as the host consecrated, becoming the body of Christ is elevated, it's a beautiful time to pray, and also then as the wine become the precious blood is elevated, another moment to say simple, beautiful, short prayers to our Lord. And so today, Lord, I am ready and willing, with the help of your grace, to be a neighbor to those I meet today. Amen? So you can pray after me say, Lord, 
I am ready and willing with the help of Your grace to be a neighbor to those I meet today. Amen? Like I said, we'll come back to that again, okay? This parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to connect it with something I had mentioned last week. Last week I had spoken about how the life of Jesus has transformed Israel, the Gentile nations, and indeed the whole course of human history. This parable, the teaching of Jesus, who had that life that transformed all those things, is a very beautiful, I think, and I propose to you today, concrete example of how the teaching and life of Jesus has affected the world. This parable of the Good Samaritan is one that really crosses uh, Christian and non-Christian boundaries even. It's one that's quoted often by all sorts of people of goodwill because it has a power contained within it about what it means to be a good Samaritan. I see this having strong effects in our culture even today. And in fact, even this week, there's a local story where I see the effects of the Good Samaritan parable having a positive uh, movement within uh, events that unfolded here locally in San Diego. There's also another news story on a more national level where I can see that the effectiveness of the parable of the Good Samaritan is still needed in many places within our culture as well. Start with the local story. This week there was an unfolding story, and I, as far as I understand, there's now a person held in custody for a series of attacks on homeless people that took place. Four in total. Two died, and two were seriously injured. Now what impressed me about the events as they unfolded, obviously it's, it's not a good thing that homeless people have died and two have been injured, but the outcry of San Diego over the death of homeless people was impressive to me and showed to me the effect that this parable has on San Diego even. Because the, out, the, the, the homeless people for us, if you and I are, are honest with each other and really around us, oftentimes the homeless people are the outcast. They are the downtrodden, the ones who we forget, the ones who we ignore what happens to them. Yet, yet, there was an outcry about justice even for the people who we see typically as outcasts, as downtrodden. I don't, I believe, honestly, I don't think it's possible that we would react that way if it was not for this specific parable, having affected Christian culture for 2,000 years and making us aware of the outcast and the downtrodden that way. Amen? Very powerful the way that has affected us. Now, of course, we're not a perfect culture, and so there are many ways in which we're still lacking. And I see this on the national level as we've had uh, issues unfold with uh, a, a death in Louisiana and Minnesota in the context of law enforcement, and then a very tragic shooting in Dallas where five policemen were killed and seven were injured. Here is an example where the question, who is my neighbor, is not understood. Wherein as we look at whatever political extreme or side or place we find ourselves around that whole issue, we don't really see each other as neighbors. 
or we don't really understand how this parable is in calling and inviting us to live together. There is something lacking, truly. Our bishop, Bishop Robert McElroy, put out a statement on this, and I, I wanted to read it to you because I felt like there is uh, some important parts here for us to hear and to listen to. This was his formal statement on the Dallas shooting. He writes, The Catholic community of San Diego and Imperial Counties stands in sorrowful solidarity with the people of Dallas, and particularly with the victims of the violent and brutal attack upon the men and women who dedicate their lives to enforcing the law, often at great personal risk. We weep with the families of those who were shot and especially those who were killed, and we are renewed in our gratitude to officers of the law who undertake the enormously complex and difficult task of attaining justice in our society. It is a profoundly tragic irony that these officers were killed precisely at a moment when they were safeguarding citizens who were peacefully pointing to shortcomings in our criminal justice system. May this irony be a spur to us all to work together to end the scourge of violence which plagues our nation, to deepen the justice which our founders sought to erect in the United States for our criminal system and to support the countless men and women who serve our society with fairness and effectiveness as officers of the law. Now, there are many, perhaps, political solutions uh, all along the spectrum that we could look at to try to address this situation. However, I'm not a political leader, so I'm not going to give you political solutions. I am a religious leader, so I offer you today a religious solution to the tensions which we face. Again, no matter where you find yourself in the political spectrum, the religious solution cuts through all those boundaries and provides a real positive way to look at the situation. It's not from the top down, but it's from the bottom up. It's difficult, it's long-term, and it takes time and patience and constant working on ourselves and each other. Amen? That solution is in the parable today. It's very simple. Love Jesus, love neighbor, bring neighbor to Jesus. Love Jesus, love neighbor, bring neighbor to Jesus. Love Jesus, love God. It's the first part of this religious solution. We see this kind of unfold in the parable as things get started because a scholar of the law comes to Jesus and asks him, well, how do I inherit eternal life? He says, well, how do you read the law? What do you think it says? The first thing he says, well, you've got to love God with all your mind, all your heart, all your being, all your strength. Good. No argument there. And in fact, in reality, I would propose that uh, there's really no argument there across all different uh, religious traditions. I think in all Protestant brothers and sisters, in our Jewish brothers and sisters, we would all agree that loving God is a unifying principle. In fact, I would even say that I think an atheist if they were rational, would agree that a religious person who loves God and uses the values of their religion and lives them out is much better than a person who spurns God and spurns the value of their religion. I think there's something unifying that we all would agree. We're never going to say to the eye, okay, it's really not a good idea that you love God, okay? No, we all know that it's a very strong, unifying principle. And yet in our culture, we're afraid to say that this is important. God has been removed. It's, this is, to me, this is clear. 
We might disagree together on, on particulars, but I really do see that God is away from the center of society, even though we know intuitively that this is the most important thing that we can have to help ourselves. Love God, love Jesus for us in our life, and this is so important for finding the solution to the tensions that arise amongst the whole spectrum that we face. Love Jesus. Love neighbor. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who is my neighbor, Father? Come on. How do we apply this? This is the part where we're not in agreement because we don't have necessarily an easy way to see, well, who am I going to say is my neighbor? How does this happen? Who is this? How do I help that? What is this whole complex situation? This is where it gets really difficult to love our neighbor. As the parable unfolds, this is also, by the way, very clearly, the part where the scholar of the law that approaches Jesus and Jesus himself have disagreements or at least they don't really have, uh, they're, they're trying to find out, where do you stand? So the scholar of the law asks him, well, well, how do you interpret it? Jesus asks him, well, what do you see is written in the law? And this particular passage about love your neighbor as yourself was something that wasn't quite fully understood or agreed upon even at that time by the various Jewish rabbis and scholars of the sacred scriptures. In fact, this law comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. There's another part of the law shortly thereafter in verse 33 that confuses it. There wasn't full agreement on what it meant to say, who is my neighbor? So the scholar of the law is kind of asking Jesus, well, will you weigh in? Who is the neighbor? Let's look to that law then. Again, this is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Here's the concrete law that was, again, still under discussion. There wasn't sure who really is the neighbor. Take no revenge and cherish no grudge against your fellow country men. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So now if you favored on that side, if you were a scholar of the law or scholar of the Old Testament and you favor that one, you might say that the neighbor is who? Your fellow countrymen. Seems to lay it out pretty clear. Now, a few short verses after that, verse 33, this is what is said. And it uses the very similar phrase that connects these two verses. When an alien, sojourner, foreigner, resides with you in your land, do not mistreat them. You shall treat the alien, foreigner, sojourner, who resides with you no differently than the natives born among you. Have the same love for him as for yourself. Notice what this passage says. This one seems to suggest that the neighbor is who? Also including the foreigner, the sojourner, the alien, we might say the immigrant. Also involves the other person who seems to be different than us. So when Jesus is kind of pressed, okay, how do you fall on this? Which way do you go? He responds with a parable. And as the parable unfolds, it's one we know quite well. The priest comes by and he walks to the other side of the person who appears to be dead. The Levite comes by, passes the other side, sees the, the person who seems to be dead. But the Samaritan helps and helps all the way through. Now, when we look at that, sometimes you've heard people talk about how you know, the priest and the Levite maybe went to their side because they wanted to avoid breaking the ritual purity laws. But what's interesting is that the text doesn't really say that, nor does it suggest it. In fact, there's something that suggests differently, because 
the, as the parable unfolds, they were traveling on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Not Jericho to Jerusalem. So what does that mean? That means that the priests and the Levi were actually going away from the temple. They weren't on their way to do their temple duties. They were coming from doing their temple duties. So they wouldn't have been as immediately concerned with the ritual purity laws. Now, there might have been something there, but it's not the whole story. Something different, though, is very important. There is a very well-known law within Judaism that if anyone was found dead, even a criminal, it suggests, that the Jew had a responsibility to bury that person. Burial is a very important part of the Jewish mindset, also for us as Christians. Burial and taking the dead and letting them be buried is very much valued. It was understood, especially in first century uh, Palestine. So the fact that this priest, who's supposed to be a follower of the law, moves to the other side and goes around the person who seems to be dead and the Levite suggests actually that they're not just trying to preserve the ritual purity laws, they've actually broken the law because they were supposed to be compassionate and bury the dead. So when the Samaritan person comes in, this, is, this just intensifies, I, I mention this because it intensifies how much this Samaritan who comes and does what the priest and the Levite should have done. He has compassion, and he brings them all the way to the inn and takes care of him. Now the, the flip, the switch, the kicker, the, the, the whole parable starts with the question, who is my neighbor? After Jesus gets done telling the parable, he asks everyone, not who is my neighbor, but who was neighbor to the robber's victim. This is what the teaching of Jesus does for us when we look at who is my neighbor. Because if you and I ask the question, who is my neighbor, we're already saying there has to be certain characteristics, certain ethnicity, certain religious beliefs that in order makes you my neighbor. We're saying there are certain things that I will come up with in my head that determine what make you a neighbor. Jesus flips that whole process on its, on its backside and says, no, ask yourself, how am I being neighbor to the other person? That means neighbor becomes unlimited because it's all about how we are interacting with that person. Love Jesus. Love neighbor. Finally, Bring neighbor to Jesus. What makes this Samaritan very powerful is not simply that he cares for his wounds, but he carries him on his, he doesn't just, you know, pour oil, bandage him up, and says, all right, good, you know, hope you make it, have a good day, and then he walks on. No, he puts the person on his animal, takes him to the inn, and makes sure he comes to a place where he will be taken care of for a much longer period of time. Likewise, when we look at who the people are that we are called to serve, we're not just to love our neighbors, because in this, in this whole context of what's happening, sometimes people say, well, we just got to love those people, and, and, and it'll get better. No. It's not just about loving them. It's about loving them in such a way that they come to encounter the person we believe can transform their life, Jesus Christ. And in that reality, our motivations can be purified. Their motivations can be purified. People need to be encountering God, making Him a part of their life in such a way so that whatever evil motivations they have, whatever evil motivations we have, we are purified by the gospel which wants to lead us to serve all together. Bring neighbor to Jesus. Let their motivations be purified. This is our call. This is our mission. This is the religious solution all the way from start to finish.
and we repeat it every single week. So, to challenge you, every day you wake up this week, Lord, I am ready and willing with the help of your grace to be a neighbor to those I meet today. And repeat. I want you to pray that prayer every day you wake up this week and let yourself be purified, your motivations, wherever you find yourself politically, be purified by this beauty of the gospel to ask yourself, how am I going to be neighbor to the robber's victim?